even introduced the podcast the last recording we did. I'm just realizing it's fine, whatever. The people if know people, who we are. Hopefully. If, if they found us on the internet, they know what they're getting into. But, you know, just in case, we'll try to be professional. Muscle Science for Women podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ashley. This is Rachel. She's great. We don't, we're talking about blood tests and how I maybe should get one soon, but uh, you know, I've been putting it off and I'm still using the excuse that when I was pregnant, I had to get my blood taken like every month and I don't enjoy it. Like I'm not, I'm not afraid of needles. I just, I do have a little bit of that, like low blood pressure reaction to getting my blood taken, Mm. which sucks. You know, like I get like a couple more than usual vials and I'm like, Oh, here we go. Like I just kind of get a little, (laughs) little woozy. So I don't like it. And I had to do it so many times, um, that it really was just like, I'm done with this for a while after I had the baby, but I, I feel like I should, it might be something, um, that would be good for me. Like, again, kind of kickstarting being like whatever my new fit is post baby to like, get some like benchmark stuff taken. Cause I feel fine. Um, but you never know kind of what's going on underneath the hood unless yeah. you get some blood work done. Yeah. And I want to, we are going to talk about that today because there are uh, pros and cons and things to be aware of when it comes to any type of testing. Um, with do you want to dive into that now, like or that? do you want to wait until later? Cause we were going to talk about yeah, that let's, later. Let's wait. So, you okay. know, you gotta okay. listen to the whole podcast to get <laughs> the good stuff. Let's good start stuff. off the top with something stuff too, though. Yeah, let's start off the top with something not as educational that I'm very excited about, pop culture. There is a show as of today, as of recording, that is on Netflix that I am super pumped to watch, and it is a documentary about the American Gladiators, the show. Oh. Okay. Did you watch this when you were younger? Did you, do you have like any reference, like, were you into it at all? Not really. Okay. That's fine. That's okay. That's okay. I, I watched again, the real the real world and like real world road rules, whatever, where they what? do like the challenges and they're like kind of get out of here. Okay. Get out of here right now. I've never even watched that, but I know it's not the same. I'm just gonna just smooth okay. right by that. Okay. Shutting Listen, up. I mean, maybe because I'm a little bit older than you too, honestly. So I think you might have just like missed it entirely. There was like a next, um, like a next iteration. There was like a newer American Gladiators that I don't think did quite as well. But I think it was in the 80s. I don't even really remember. I was young too when it first came out. But it was like, if you look back at like clips of it or whatever, it was just like the most quintessential, like, I guess, 80s or early 90s, like, that they were wearing spandex. They had so much hair. They, the whole point is like these beautiful, like over the top, like roided out, you know, gladiators who would like do these challenges, right? Like against normal people, but it was normal fit people. Um, but the normal fit people always looked like very normal in comparison to these like big jacked gladiators. And of course there were women gladiators too. And they all had amazing names. Like, I don't know, like blaze and whatever. Anyway, just, it was ridiculous. It was very like America just yeah. over the top. And I think maybe because I had like older brothers and I like grew up being very into like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and like, uh, I don't know, just American gladiators, like that kind of stuff, wrestling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always really liked it. I really enjoyed it. And it was like, I joke and I still joke to this day about how I, that would have been like a career for me was to be an American gladiator, despite the fact that I am absolutely not large enough, even if I got jacked up on steroids. I'm way too small to be like an effective gladiator. Like these were big people. Right. Um, but it was just like kind of a moment in time, I think culturally, whatever. And so Netflix just had, I haven't watched it yet, but they have this like documentary, like looking at the show. And I don't know if they're going to like interview some of these people. Oh my God, I'm so excited. 
I can't wait. So I know that I'm sorry. I'm speaking to somebody who's like not interested at all, but I'm no, going I'm to, I'm going to watch it and I'm going to report back because again, like as somebody who has a bit of a like old school muscle head mentality, you know, I like to think that I'm a little bit more on the like old school side of things. And this is part of it. It's just so ridiculous and like silly, but it was funny. And like for somebody like me who always, you know, it's, it's funny to say this, but I just feel like I liked pieces of like pop culture that like a lot of my girlfriends like couldn't relate to. Like I had crushes on like these big over the top, like buff, ridiculous characters when all my friends like loved, I don't know, like Leonardo DiCaprio and like Romeo and Juliet. And I'm just like, what? No. Like, so anyway, so this kind of stuff is just like, so I just love it. It makes me so happy. The nostalgia of it. So I'm very excited to watch and see if it tells me anything interesting about these people or like the production of the show or something. Um, but that's my, uh, like pop culture reference of the day. I'm very pumped about it. Love it. I am pumped for you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I list this another, like, just so you like know what kind of person I am when I was competing in bodybuilding the like morning of, or the day before the show, when I was like getting ready and like, I don't know, getting myself pumped up, I would literally watch pumping iron, which is the mm. Arnold Schwarzenegger, like the classic movie yeah. showing yeah. how he competed because he's just this, I mean, he's a very different person now, I think as an older gentleman, we won't get into that. But back in the day, he was just this again, ridiculous over the top character. And I, I loved it. So anyway, super excited for that. I'll report back, but I do have some other questions from our listeners that we can chat about. Um, one, I feel like we we may have touched on this, but maybe not. And we can always talk about it again. This person is asking about fasted training early in the morning. Is it oh. better to eat or get, she's saying the minimum 12 hours gut rest. So I think she's assuming that like, that's like sort of the minimum time overnight. That's like ideal for you to not be eating. Um, mm -hmm. And this is a very common question. A lot of people ask, like, especially for fat loss, but just general health energy, like, is it good to do a workout mm -hmm. in the morning fasted or is it better to fuel yourself before a workout? Yeah. So this is, I mean, I actually, usually I work out, um, around like noonish. Um, so I get a usually a good meal in, but today, as I mentioned, um, had some stuff and I actually worked out earlier and I don't know if you saw my story, you probably didn't because, um, when you, well, I'll just tell you about it now, but so I didn't have time to get like a normal pre-workout meal in, um, any meal at all, actually, but I knew yesterday that that was going to be the case. Um, so last night I made sure that I had a little bit more carbs at dinner. Mm. Um, I made like jicama tacos, but I made sure like in my protein ice cream, I had, um, strawberries. So I had like some berries, um, and so made sure just like ended the night with like fueled up, right? So enough carbs and things like that, which this is one thing to realize too. Like if you're going into a fasted workout, um, you know, thinking about what you ate the day before is actually mm. really important too. So that's like mm -hmm. one thing to, to help with that, um, is like, okay, did you, did you fuel up the day before the night before, like at dinner, did you have enough carbs, obviously protein, fat, things like that. Um, so, because we know that that's going to be stored in your glycogen, which is really where we're going to get the energy for that fasted workout. Mm -hmm. Um, even more so than if you were to eat a meal right before the workout, um, yeah, you'll get a little bit of energy, um, obviously. And then from those carbs and, and things like that, but 
that's not going to get stored like in your glycogen right away, right? So glycogen is the storage form of carbs and glucose and all that fancy stuff. Um, so what you do the previous day is important. Um, mm -hmm. And then going back to what I mentioned today or what I mentioned about this morning is that I actually had a leg day today, right? So especially with a, it also depends on like the kind of workout you're doing. We know that a lower body day is going to be a lot more taxing to your nervous system and require more energy um, then maybe an upper body workout. And it's mostly just because the muscle groups in your lower body are going to be a lot bigger than the upper body typically. Um, mm -hmm. and just a lot more taxing, like I said, to the nervous system. So today I had a lower body day. We talked about this, um, before maybe mm -hmm. off yep. here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, um, had like my coffee and a little bit of creamer and I was like, okay, I'm just like, I have, I keep a candy stash in my gym bag. Yes. Like We've the talked little, about this in another yeah, episode. Talked about this. Yeah. yeah. So I fueled up enough last night that I thought that I was going to be just fine going into the workout and like having had a little coffee, caffeine, right. A little boost of that, a little, uh, cream, my coffee, whatever. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'll just get a good post-workout meal and afterwards. But I got, I did the first, my first set of squats, pendulum squats. And I was like, oh man, like I need some energy. So I took out my little sour patch, like the little mini ones. And there's like four in there. And I had two, I had two sour patch, literally two sour patch kids and put the rest away. And I was like, okay, I'll probably just eat these like in another five minutes. I'll eat the rest of the two. And I forgot about that, right? Like I forgot that I had the extra two and I just needed those two little sour patches to like, just give me that little boost. And I was feeling really good throughout the whole workout. And then I realized towards the end of the workout, I was like, oh, I didn't even finish like the pack and I didn't need it. Like, I didn't feel like I needed it. I was like, oh, I'm just going to go home and have this great post-workout meal with lots of nutrients and stuff. So we kind of talked about this before, but it was like, some people will like use this as an excuse to like eat candy. Right. And I'm like, you know, that if you forget about the candy and you're like into your workout that like mm -hmm. you were, you needed it for the energy, right. Versus like, Oh, I guess you candy. So I'm just going to like eat all the candy, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that was just kind of like a mental thing for me. It was like, okay, yeah. Like my body needed this little extra energy that I wasn't even like thinking about how much of it I was eating. It was just like, okay, give me what I need and use that. And that's what happened. So mm -hmm. that's another little trick too, like keeping like a quick source of uh, sugar, glucose, right. From the sour patch. Um, obviously it's not going to be like the ideal, but it worked. And then I came home and had a post-workout meal. Um, so that's kind of what I would say, like, there's so many different ways to answer this question, but it's like knowing yourself too, like how you feel during your workout. If you feel, if you do a faster workout and you do this multiple times and you feel like crap, like that probably yeah. means that you probably need to get a little bit more fuel in before. And you can even do like a quick, like, banana and a little bit of peanut butter right on the way to the gym, very fast digesting stuff. You can do like a rice cake with peanut butter and have like maybe half a, like a, a protein shake, right. A scoop of protein in your water and drink that, uh, before or during. Um, so there's so many different things. And we go into this in the muscle science forum program about fueling. Like we have a whole, mm -hmm. you know, lesson about going through pre post-workout, how to optimize your training and all of that. Um, but yeah, I'll shut up because I'm talking a lot. No, that was great. I mean, I think, you know, with, with all due respect, anybody who can open a mini candy bag, I knew I know, it, I know, I know, and then I know, put it away know, and forget is a serial killer. You're a serial killer. Okay. Like that. who, what psycho can have like, Oh, there's like four little treats. I'm just going to eat two and then forget the other two. What? 
Come on. I that's know. like the same person who can like open a chocolate bar and eat half of it and put the other half away for like three days. What's who are you people? Okay. That's my question. This is love. the first time that's happened. I will say that usually okay, I eat the well, whole pack. But then I realized I was like, oh, crap. Like I only I put it in my side pocket of my bag and I forgot because I was like so into the to the workout. And I was like, no, I love it. I love it. But you you make a good good way, obviously, like and, you know, I think the uh, that that other point is like you may not it may not need to be this big, massive meal. It may sometimes a little bit goes a long way. But, you know, just reiterate what you're saying, I think, like it depends on the type of workout. I mean, I think most of us generally, you can go for a nice long walk, even a little bike ride or something, just make sure you're hydrated. Like you probably don't need to, cause there's two ends of the spectrum here, right? There are people who are like, how much working out can I get away with, with as little fuel as possible? Because I want to be super lean, right? Which isn't the best way to look at things. And then there are people who are like, Oh, getting out of bed, got to eat a meal. Like going over here, got to eat a meal, which is sort of the more direction that I tend to lean towards, which you don't need as much fuel maybe as we've been led to believe that we do. And, you know, without getting into the like sort of, um, moral or emotional aspects that are so intertwined in eating. Like, I don't think we need to, to preach this idea that you have to like earn your carbs. Like a lot of people say, however, you don't like, if you look at it more like fuel, instead of like, just food you're putting into your body because it tastes good. If you really think about it as fuel, do you need this fuel for what you're going to do? How much of it do you need? Like, are you doing this because it tastes good and because it feels good or because it's routine? Or do you need this fuel? Is this going to optimize what you're doing? And in some cases, eating less maybe will make you feel better for a workout, sometimes not. Um, So it really is very individual. And I think, um, you, like you said, you just need to experiment and see, like if I, you know, when I was fitter and like doing more activity and was trying to be lean, I would usually do some kind of movement in the morning, um, walking, hiking, going somewhere, whatever. And like, I wouldn't necessarily eat before I did that. If I was going to go to the gym and like crush a bodybuilding workout, I'm going to eat, I'm going to make sure I'm fueled for that. Um, so yeah, I think that's that. I think that's answers yeah. that good enough. I don't know. And I would say this too: nine out of ten times, especially on a leg day, like even if it is in early in the morning, I would probably have like a rice cake with some peanut butter, maybe like a protein shake on the way to the gym. But today yeah. it was just like a weird scenario where I didn't, I wasn't hungry at all, and I like d- actually didn't even have. Uh, didn't go grocery mm. shopping. So I'm doing that later. So, but yeah, I have like a backup, right. Always having kind yes. of like a backup plan. Um, and it, like it, like, I probably honestly would have had a shitty workout mm-hmm. if I didn't have just like two sour patches, just cause not only from like the, the energy standpoint, but like, I would have been in my head a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So there's like a placebo I don't have effect. the energy to do this. Yeah. There's a placebo yeah. effect to it. Um, yeah that I think is, is another thing that people forget about too. So anyway, lots of different options there. These are the two types of people in the world, the people who can have workout candy stashes in their bag and not eat it unless they need to. And then the people like me who would like buy that and put it in their bag and then just eat it all that night just because they, you know, it was there because that's actually what I would do. Yeah. And also last week, this is funny because my, one of my friends is a type one diabetic and she was Mm. getting low blood sugar while we were waiting to eat, um, after our basketball game and like nobody had anything. And I was like, Oh, well, I got three packets of sour patch kids. Here you go. (laughs) I mean, she's like, where'd you get these? These are perfect. I'm like, I stock up on Halloween when they have the mini, you know, they have huge bags Mm. of like just the Mm -hmm. mini ones. Cause they're perfect. Yeah. You are a very useful person to have around for a lot of reasons. And 
Number one, the number one reason is mini candy. <laughs> oh my. And okay. salt. I always have the little salt. I've always got salt. Yeah. I've always yeah. got salt. salt. And I also always have uh, wipes for my baby. Oh, okay. That's useful. You need that. Yeah. You know, you, you never know that. when you're going to be covered in something disgusting. So we're both useful yeah. people from with different yourself reasons. or somebody else. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. You don't, you just don't know when you leave the house. Um, okay. Here's a question. Should you rest between bilateral exercises like split squats, rest between the legs? Huh? Yeah. So like you do, you know, your reps on one leg, do you rest or do you go right in? I would say you go right into it. Right. Unless of course you're like beasting yourself so badly that you need a break. I don't know. You like you shake them out and then you go to the other one. No, I, uh, I disagree, but I think it depends. Right. So it depends on what the goal is. Right. It always Um, depends. Yeah. It always depends. And I would just say like, especially for things like, and I just, again, I'll talk about this. Like I did B stands pendulum squats this morning and I rested one minute in between each leg. Can you just tell people what that is? So they know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I did, it's a squat, a pendulum squat. It's just a machine type squat. And I did B stands. A very cool machine. Yeah. Instead of having both legs up, um, I did like one kind of like staggered stance. B stance is basically staggered stance. So you can do like B stance RDLs, you can mm-hmm. do B stance things, different things. So I did that on the pendulum. Um, and I took one minute rest in between legs. And the reason for that is because I'm trying to um basically get as much out of each leg as possible. Um, and we know that with especially with the lower body your nervous system and just like your heart rate will go up, especially, you know, if you're training legs and your heart rate's not going up a bit, like Mm. probably not training hard enough, not saying that you have to go like crazy, but Mm -hmm. you should be kind of, you know, huffing and puffing a little bit, especially if it's a larger, like a longer set. So for example, like today I was doing 12, 10, eight. So like 12 reps each side, which is kind of a lot, um, especially for that type of movement. I personally recommend taking rest in between uh, each leg so that you can get the most out of it. Because if you do one leg first, obviously that's going to be the fresh leg. And then you go right into the next one. What is the limiting factor, right? The limiting factor, there's, there's going to be the cardiovascular aspect of that. Mm -hmm. That's going to limit you in that second limb that we don't necessarily want. If the goal is to maximize the muscle building potential of that second limb. Um, so this comes back to like adequate rest between, any set, but also especially during like unilateral work. Um, that's my opinion. However, if you are doing a workout because you're, you are focused on a little bit more of like the cardiovascular side, maybe you're doing, um, more of like a pump focus workout where it's uh, like a shorter Mm -hmm. rest periods, things like that, then maybe you wouldn't want to rest in between, but again, always go back to like, what's the primary goal of what you're doing. And then you, you line things up based off of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of thinking more, I don't know why, but I was kind of thinking more like, you know, higher rep, lower weight, like pump kind of movements that you wouldn't want to rest in between. Of course it makes sense if you're doing, if you're really trying to like get a lot of output, heavier weights, whatever, but also to revise even what I was saying at the beginning, the other kind of limiting factor I find, like I think about, for example, like a B stance RDL, right. Um, if you go 
if you're doing your right leg first, whatever, and you switch to your left, like that back leg is a bit of a limiting factor too. And that mm-hmm. back leg is now tired in a way that the other side wasn't because they were both fresh exactly. at the beginning. Does that, you know what I mean? So like, exactly. I'm actually kind of revising what I'm thinking that could be problematic. You kind of need to like give both legs a break before you do the other leg, because yeah, um, they're both still involved, even if there's one leg, that's the focus. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess. And I also, oh yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was also going to say, um, I always start like most of us have one leg that's a little bit stronger than the other. So yeah. I typically will always start and do my, my weak leg first. Mm-hmm. So my right leg is weaker than my left in, in like all areas, quads, glutes, um, right side. I mean, and that's the benefit of actually doing unilateral movements, which we talk about yes. in the glute program. Um, sign up for the glute program if you haven't already Yes. in the show notes. Um, yes. but I always start with the weaker side first. And I think there's a benefit from both, uh, a mental standpoint and from just like, obviously it's the weaker side first. So you'll have, even though you're taking that one minute rest, it's not going to be as much as like, maybe you took two to three minutes rest between the set. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, doing the weaker side first so that you have a little bit left, a little bit more in the tank, um, for wait. Yeah because the stronger side, you're already going to be tired. So like, at least you have a little bit more there for that second side. Um, but also from a mental standpoint, you're like, okay, I got the weaker side out of the way. Yeah. And then you can kind of push with the stronger side. So that's usually what I do. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, and I think I, I wonder, like, I don't know if a lot of people are actually when they're taking rest, are they actually like paying attention to how long the rest is? Because that's the other area where you can get messed up if you're not being meticulous with it. Like some people think they're taking like a 30 second to one minute rest and then they're on Instagram and then don't realize they've been sitting there for five minutes, which again, like sort of no judgment, but if you want to be like maximizing what you're doing, you want to be paying attention and like knowing what the rest is. And since a rest can be your rest periods can be a factor that you can play with and Mm -hmm. lessen or add to as needed, depending on what your goal is, you, you want to know how much you're resting to and be actually paying yeah. attention to that. Just like you're paying attention to sets and reps. Cause all of these factors matter. Right. Yeah. And quick tip too, with the rest. And this is, again, there's a lot of things that I did this morning that we're talking about, but what I do, especially with squats and things that I know, like lower body squats, RDLs, I know my heart rate's going up during that set. What I do is I have my Apple watch and I do like the workout thing. Cause it shows me like my heart rate right there, like the whole time. So I'll look at my heart rate before I start the set. And I did this with between my legs. So I did take a little bit more than a minute actually between I'll look at what my heart rate is. I'll do, I did my one set, right? I'll look at what my heart rate is when I end that set. And typically it's, it's higher. Mm-hmm. And so I'll wait until my heart rate goes back down to what it was when I started the set previously, right? So it goes Mm -hmm. back to baseline, right? You're just waiting for it to go back to baseline or at least close to that. Mm -hmm. Because again, that's like your cardiovascular system. That's like your nervous system saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm up here. Like I need to recover. Right. Mm -hmm. And so once it hits baseline, then it's like, okay, I'm going to go into the the next set or the next leg. Um, so that's a really like objective way to, see if you're recovered before you go to your next set is like, let your heart rate come down to what it was at baseline before you started. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, all right. Do you have a question? I have one other question, but I want to save it to the next, uh, the next podcast. I'll tell you about it offline. Cause it's going to need to take some research, but I do want to talk about it. So I'll just have to tease that for next week. Cause okay. we're not ready to answer it. 
All right. Yeah. And I have two questions here. So let's just do one of the that the questions that I have that's related to kind of the blood stuff, blood work stuff. And then this other question we can save for the next time too. Um, if that works. Sure. Okay. So Kristen emailed us. And if you're listening to this, um, you can email us questions um at uh muscle science for the number four women at gmail.com. Um, so Kristen email and we don't have to say your name, but if you uh, don't, yeah, tell us if you don't whatever. want to. Otherwise, yeah. we might say your name, just your first name. Yeah, just, just your friendly. first name. Yeah, yeah. So Kristen said, "Hi, Ashley and Rachel. I really enjoyed your podcast, or I really enjoy your podcast. It's always thorough, thoughtful, and entertaining. Love to hear that." Uh, she, they said, or sorry, she said, "Thank you for all of the great info. I have a couple questions about hormone replacement therapy, or more specifically, hormone testing, and I'm curious to learn what you've seen in your research on this topic." Um, so Kristen, I'm going to read out one of your questions and then we're going to save your second question, uh, for the next podcast. Cause, um, they're both kind of, we can go, we can talk about them for a little bit. So the first question is, is there a particular type of testing that is best, most accurate and most helpful? I recently did a woman's hormone test through Everlywell, which is both a blood and a saliva test, but I'm wondering if that's any better, worse, or different than other options. So, mm, okay. You start. Okay. So this is a great question. Um, there's tons of different rabbit holes we can go, go down, but we're going to kind of keep it at pretty high level, um, here, the quick answer to this. And this is, <laughs> you know, for any testing that you're doing is that no test is perfect, right? Whether it's blood, saliva, urine, whatever. No test is perfect. They all have limitations, some more than others. Um, so it's good to kind of understand why you're doing the test, what specific markers you're looking at, understanding that there's limitations to those tests. Um, and then specifically for females and specifically if we're talking about hormone testing, like if you're looking at your progesterone and testosterone and estrogen levels and FSH and LH and those things, a lot of the time, the results, especially if you're doing a blood test, are going to depend on when that test is done in relation to a woman's cycle, right? Yeah. Because for women, we are, uh, whether you're a normal cycling woman or you're in perimenopause, postmenopause, whatever, like our hormones are going, they're fluctuating throughout the day, throughout the month, especially, um, and so that's important to understand when you're getting the testing done in relation to your personal cycle, like what, what part of your cycle you're in during that month. And then also in relation to where you're at in your life, right? Like, mm -hmm. are you cycling normally, right? Or are you in perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, right? Those are things that we have to, to understand. Um, but like, regardless of the test that you're using, at least from my research, if you're in your perimenopausal years, um, and especially because she mentioned she's, well, let me look here. Did she mention, she didn't mention the age, but if you are in perimenopause and especially uh, with really into like hormone placement therapy and things like this, I, I'm assuming she's in perimenopause. Um, that's something to be aware of too, because a lot of the testing can be super, super unreliable there, especially with blood testing, because in perimenopausal years, like you are like your hormones can fluctuate minute to minute, right? Mm -hmm. Second to second. And so if you get one blood draw at one yeah. point in time, 
and you have a certain level, like that's not telling you what's happening the rest, even the rest of the day. Right. So we have to be very, very careful. Um, and this is a downside I would say to blood testing when it comes to perimenopause, especially, or if you are irregular, like irregular cycling and things like that, because that's a snapshot in time. It doesn't tell you what's happening, what's fluctuating. Um, and this is going to be a special, especially for like hormones, like I said, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, FSH, LH, LH, those things. Um, when it comes to like thyroid specific markers, um, like all the thyroid panels, I think that's a little bit more, um, reliable when it comes to blood testing, at least from, from my research. Um, Mm -hmm. but we have to kind of, again, take those with a grain of salt and understand when you're doing the testing and what stage of life you're in with that. Um, and then I have some other insights on like saliva and urine testing that I want to talk high level about, but do you have any, anything that you want to add? No, I mean, I've, I've read, I mean, maybe you're going to get into this, but I've read that urine testing is a bit more accurate for like, especially sex hormones for women. And I know like the, the, do you have, have you ever done the Dutch test? We've talked about this. Have you done it? I have done the Dutch test years okay. ago, back in 2018. Okay. Um, Did you but find they're, that good? So uh, at least from <laughs> my current research, I've actually now been a little bit weary of the, of the Dutch test for some different reasons. Um, and some of that comes from the type of actual testing that they're doing, um, with like spot urine tests or spot blood tests. There can be a lot of, uh, inaccuracies with some of that stuff. Mm. Um, and again, it's just like, the more, you know, (laughs) Um, this is why, this is why I like understand why people get overwhelmed and don't do it myself included, because it's like, there's so much you know, if you don't do it perfectly and everybody's doing it wrong and it's especially for women, like you said, we have to test at different points in our cycle and we have to like be so on top of this stuff. It gets really overwhelming. It's like, this is more trouble than it's worth. And if I'm not confident that the information I'm getting is going to be accurate and useful to me, I'd rather just not do it. You know, it sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks that it's like so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. But, and, and I think that there is Again, there's pros and cons to all of this, um, but speaking toward or to the uh, urine testing side of things. So from my research, I've recently, like in the last few months, um, just all the stuff that I've kind of been reading about and like comparing the Dutch test to like some other testing, um, I've learned at least. And again, I'm not an expert in HRT and hormones and things like that, but from the experts that I've been you know, studying, um, it's been a consensus consensus that at least right now, um, for those who are hormone specialists, especially HRT specialists, that 24 hour urine testing seems to be the most reliable method for testing hormones. Um, and this is when you're basically testing, um, you're taking urine samples throughout a 24 hour period, right? And there's different, uh, specific, uh, companies and labs that do this, Um, so you're, you're taking actual urine tests throughout the 24 hours to see kind of how hormones are fluctuating, things like that. Um, however, this is another thing to to think about too. Again, if you are a woman who is trying to test your levels because you're in perimenopause and you're like, I, I want to test my levels because I want to see if, you know, whether you're taking HRT or you are, you know, in, you want to start taking it. 
actually it can be detrimental to check your levels even in urine testing because they are going to naturally fluctuate day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute, right? So this is where working with a specialist who knows what to look at um, is very important. And one of the biggest things is your symptoms, right? So being able to track your symptoms with what you're doing, especially if you are starting HRT, because at least from the experts that I've been um, been learning from, they actually don't check. Uh, they don't they don't rely on testing any type of testing before they put you on HRT. They want you to basically obviously they'll do some tests, but they will take it with a grain of salt and they will ask you and have like a full kind of comprehensive thing about your symptoms, right? What are the symptoms that you're having? Because that's really going to tell us like the individuality. And if you do start HRT, for example, how are these symptoms being relieved? And then once you've kind of found some relief from that, and you can kind of get on a steady dose that's working for you, then you do the testing. Then you do the 24-hour urine testing to make sure that your levels are within a, a good place and they're not too high or too low. So it's kind of like, okay, the the step-by-step process, sometimes if they're, again, if you're not working with a skilled practitioner who is a specialist in this, they might be doing it a little bit backwards. And I'm not saying that I'm a, I'm an expert here, um, but you have to kind of look at all these things and take into account and understand like it makes sense, right? If you're if you're fluctuating all over the place and you take even just a one day 24 hour urine hormone, sorry, 24 hour urine test, even though that's the technically gold standard, it's still only one day, right? So paying attention to symptoms, being able to to track that, and and also like there's a, a downfall, at least I've, I've seen this and I'll, and I'll shut up after this, <laughs> but if you're, this is a red flag. If you're, you go to your practitioner, you get your blood work done and you're like, I'm interested in, um, like I have all these symptoms, right? I'm have hot, hot flashes. I'm not sleeping, blah, blah, blah. All the symptoms that come with perimenopause for some people. And you go get a blood test done and your levels are quote unquote normal. And then your practitioner says, Hey, your, your levels are normal. You don't need HRT. That's a red flag because you're having all these symptoms. So something's going on Mm -hmm. and they're saying, Oh, like your levels are quote unquote normal. And, and then they deny you that that's, that's not okay. And that's what some people fall into. So again, it's like, the more, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with these and things. that's a big, that's a big problem in women's medical experience is basically being like their symptoms being downplayed, being told like either you're being, you're over-exaggerating or maybe you're imagining it or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. anybody who tells you like, if you're experiencing something and they're like, no, you're not really, or we don't have any evidence for it. Like, that's not, that's not what you're supposed to hear. And you need, you deserve better than that. But I guess just to kind of summarize, um, cause again, mm-hmm. this is high level, this is not medical advice, but to summarize, like going back to her question, like what, what advice do you give her? Yeah. So, and let me just say one more thing, cause we didn't talk about saliva and I'm not going to dive into this, but generally saliva is not going to be reliable for a multiple multitude of reasons. Um, there's lots of limitations on it. Uh, not saying that it's, absolutely like you can't take any information from that but from what i've researched compared to urine and blood saliva has a lot more limitations um so what i would recommend <laughs> is 
again, what is, what is the goal of this testing, right? Why are you testing your hormones? Are you having symptoms, right? Are you having symptoms here? What are you testing, right? Are you testing sex hormones like, uh, progesterone, estrogen, DHEA, um, testosterone, do you know, like, are you a regular cycling, cycling woman? Cause if you are, then you need to be testing those and your doctor will know this. You'll need to be testing those at certain parts of your cycle. Like for example, on day three of your menstrual cycle is typically a time when you would test FSH and LH levels. Um, and then like, I don't know the exact days, then they're like day 18, whatever, because these are supposed to be doing kind of like the, the normal fluctuations right throughout the month. And so you would test those levels at those times to see where they're, where they are in terms of like the references, reference ranges of that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then if you're a, a woman who is not regularly cycling, if you're in perimenopause, postmenopause, or even if you are just, you don't have regular periods, right? Maybe you are suffering from amenorrhea or something like that. Then with that, you have to, you have to take those numbers with a, with a grain of salt, because again, there's, it's a snapshot in time and it can't yeah. tell you a lot from that. Um, so in that case, doing like a 24 hour urine test or things like that can be, can be potentially beneficial, but then again, symptoms, right? Going back to symptoms. If you are suffering with symptoms, then you have to think about, okay, what's the goal? Am I looking, what am I looking to relieve here? Um, and basically finding a skilled practitioner who can kind of walk you through this process and help you with that. Um, that would kind of be my recommendations. And then when it comes to testing other things like other hormones, thyroid, um, different, you know, all the different complete thyroid panel blood testing will be kind of the gold standard for that. Um, because that will show you it, there, there's like less kind of fluctuations that happen compared to like the sex hormones and things like that. So mm -hmm. thyroid testing, blood, good, um, like a full blood draw, not like a blood, like, uh, what did I say before? Like a spot test, those spot tests, which a lot of, I think Everly does that and some other, those are going to be a lot less reliable. Yeah. Um, so you want like the full blood draw, um, where you have to go into like lab corp and things like that. Um, and then for more, for hormone specific, like sex hormones, things like that, knowing where you're at your cycle or your life. And then, uh, urine testing is going to be like the gold standard for that on top of all the other things we just talked about. Was that a good summary? That was a good summary. Ish? Okay. We and saliva a lot about blood and urine and saliva today. And I'm not <laughs> sure how I feel about it. I guess it's fine. I don't know. It's I'm a parent, so I'm, I deal with this stuff. Honestly, all the time, I, but. I, a lot of people have these questions though. And absolutely. And like I yeah. said, like we said, I mean, this stuff, it shouldn't be so complicated for the average woman to just kind of like get some answers on how to get the information she needs to optimize her health. But literally that's why this podcast exists is because we are trying to make some of this stuff more accessible, or at least understanding the questions you need to ask or the, the, things you should be researching for yourself because it can be really overwhelming and people don't even know where to start. And a lot of times people give up before they start because it, it is so difficult and complex and, um, tricky. So anyway, yeah. I think that, I think that's definitely helpful. And I think if people, you know, if you're listening and you're like, uh, what, or I have more <laughs> questions, then that's why you, you send us a message, muscle science for women at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, you can send us nice, um, things there. You can send us stories. I think I asked like a couple of weeks ago to send us like 
I don't know if it was like funny gym stories or funny fitness stories or something. Remember? Cause we were talking about like yeah. weights falling on your foot and me having like my butt out at a bodybuilding yeah. competition. So like, anyway, no one sent us anything funny and that makes me sad. So send us some like funny fitness stories. We also um, do the anonymous thing. We got to figure that out. There's like yeah. a, a, a link. I, I have it. People post all the time. It's like where you can send in anonymous questions. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 That. I do feel like that opens up like a lot Why of Why don't like we post that on our story stuff, for next but... time? I'm going to make a note. Find what? out. Post what? Oh. Like if we post the link for anonymous questions, maybe we'll get some uh something some interesting. Or instead of anonymous questions, mm-hmm. because I don't know, the question thing might be weird, but like anonymous, like. I don't know anything stories or confessions or something. I don't know. Anywho, oh boy, this that's could get it for today. That's it for today. It's got spicy at the end. Yeah. Um, thank and you for we'll listening. be back next time yeah. with uh, Kristen. I just want, I don't want to leave you hanging. Kristen had another question about reference ranges and things like that, which is another very, very common question we get. So tune in for yes. the next podcast. We'll, we'll dive into that. Tune in until next time. Uh, don't do stupid shit. Don't be insane.